0: Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be back in church again. And uh, I want to ask you to turn to me uh, with, uh, with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's my text today. I want to talk about shunning profane and old wives' fables. This is Paul writing to Timothy in verse uh, 7 and 8. He says, but reject uh, profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is that is now, that now is. Uh, eternal life does not begin somewhere in the future when you die and then you enter into eternal life. It began the moment you got born again. Amen. The moment you got born again, Jesus comes to give you this eternal life. And we've got to learn how to live this life right now in the here and now. Allow me to take five minutes to give you a bit of a preamble and backstory to this amazing epistles. One and two Timothy were written by Paul to his beloved son. Second Timothy was written two years before Paul's own demise in AD 67. So he's going to download to Timothy all that is in his heart. Now, Timothy was appointed by Paul to take over the largest church in the world at that time. He was the lead pastor of the church of Ephesus, which was a massive mega church. It wasn't just a mega church, it was the crown jewel of the New Testament churches. This congregation was mature as they were famous throughout the Christian world. Just a cursory glance of the book of Ephesians and you'll realize the depth of this congregation. And Paul felt totally free to share with them what was in his heart concerning the hidden mysteries of the kingdom. Now, if you recall, Paul first arrived in the city of Ephesus. He found 12 men who had, not all, who had known only the baptism of John. He prays for them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. And that nucleus was the embryonic, pen, first Pentecostal church in the Bible. And from that little fledgling community came forth the greatest church in the New Testament. And after Paul planted the church, he stayed for three months and focused his ministry on a local synagogue. When they opposed him, he ducked in and spent the next two years teaching in the school of Tyranius. And this was the longest period Paul ever stayed in one place in his missionary journeys. And this was significant because he saw the potential of what was happening. The result of this was in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. And it says, all who dwelled in Asia, this is Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, when the Holy Spirit says all, He means all. Amen. He is the Spirit of Truth. He does not exaggerate. So in two years, everyone in the province of Asia Minor had heard the Gospel. Hallelujah. And it was also here that God began to work unusual miracles. The Holy Spirit coined this little phrase, unusual miracles, to, to differentiate them from Normal miracles that were happening on a daily basis. So many miracles that the Holy Spirit had to coin a phrase, unusual miracles were done through the hands of the Apostle Paul. Uh, When Paul wrote his epistle to the Ephesian church, he was in the Roman dungeon and he made a remark that was remarkable. He said, even here in the deepest dungeons of the Roman Empire, I have heard of your faith and I have heard of your love. I mean, the Efficient church had a remarkable reputation. I don't know what people are saying about Cornerstone, but I hope that when they talk about this church, they will say it's a church of faith and love, hallelujah. Because there are things that, you know, a church can be known for, but for all the wrong reasons. Is it possible for a church to be famous, but for all the wrong reasons? And I think that far more important than what we have accomplished as a church is what we are becoming as a people. Amen. Now because of this news, Paul continually gave thanks for them in his prayers because the greatest joy of a spiritual father is to see the congregation mature. Hallelujah, amen. And then he prays for them to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And boy, when you have these two anointings in a church, watch out world, amen. Now by the time John the Revelator wrote and recorded the book of Revelation, this is 1895, something like 34 years later, the church that was a household name began to flounder. This once famous church, the pride and joy of the Apostle Paul is now at the brink of losing the lampstand. And the Lord sent them a loving letter and also a rebuke that if they did not do anything about it, He would come and He would remove the lampstand from their midst. What happened to them? I'll tell you what happened. They left their first love. And it's a serious thing in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because forsaking the Lord, forsaking our first love is tantamount to idolatry. How do you mean that, Pastor? Because the moment Jesus is no longer number one in your heart, it's not right. If He's not number one, it's not right, and it's idolatry, there's something in your life that you value more than Jesus in your heart. I tell you this, God is not against us having things, but He's against us, but He's not happy with being number two, amen. Now when Paul wrote this epistle to Timothy, he was a young man, and being a youth in that culture, it wasn't it advantage? People had the tendency to despise youth. Paul wrote continually, let no one despise your youth. Can you imagine what it was like pastoring the world's largest and most famous church? Woo! I mean, all eyes were on him, and the demands placed on a pastor of a mega church like Ephesus was crazy. Leaders had to be trained, rebels had to be corrected, foundations have to be laid, people have to be equipped, finances have to be raised, problems have to be solved. The world never ceases, and as Timothy was settling in his job as the senior pastor, that's when Paul wrote the first epistle to Timothy, and Paul writes to establish a few foundations. Now that all is preamble, and that's just to give me the foundation to start what I wanna say today. The first thing that Paul instructs Timothy to establish is the foundation of prayer he said first of all i exhort you in other words first things first and that's the ministry of prayer this is 1 timothy chapter 2. i can tell you the quality of the church but just by looking at the prayer meeting the prayer meeting is the cinderella of the church today it's the smallest meeting in the church numerically when it's supposed to be the most significant meeting amen leonard ravenhill used to say we're weak in prayer then we're weak everywhere else Every revival in history was initiated and precipitated by intercessory prayer that preceded it. Every revival, no exceptions. The first foundation stone to establish in any church is the prayer ministry of prayer. Pray with all kinds of prayer. Pray for everyone, especially those in authority. Pray for all men to be saved because that's the will of the Father. Because failing in prayer, we fail everywhere. But let me just add one little addendum to this. One of the major components of prayer is personal prayer. Because you can come for all the prayer meetings, but if you don't pray yourself at home, what's the point? Amen. Come on. I like to think that Cornerstone has a fairly robust prayer life. We've got many prayer meetings through the week. But I guess prayer is one of those things that we just need to work on. The second thing he instructs Timothy is the establishment of church governance. And government in the church consists of the deacons, The deaconships and of course the eldership, the pastors of course form the elders of the church. That's why three people sitting in Starbucks having Bible study is not the church because it doesn't fall into the definition of what an ecclesia, a ruling authority is that God has placed within the city. For the church to be a church, you need governance and you need kingdom government, amen. The third thing that he establishes and I wanna focus on this is the development of godliness in the body of Christ. Let me come back to the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight. It says, but reject and profane uh, and all wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. I want you to see the dichotomy here. Godliness is contrasted with profane and all wise fables. Then Paul says, for bodily exercise profits a little, right? but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and that which is to come." Now here Paul is contrasting godliness with something else, with bodily exercise. So just hold these thoughts into, into, uh, for a few moments and then we'll circle back to it in the next few moments, right? In the quest to understand um, uh, godliness, which really is a bit of a mystery, the most important thing is the definition because having a clear definition of a truth will give you handles to grapple with the issues. If you don't understand what a word means, you will not be able to appreciate it. So what is godliness? In the Greek is the word Savior, and it comes and it's a word that means radical. Listen to this, radical devotion, hallelujah, piety. Godliness is not righteousness, godliness is not justice, godliness is not about being law abiding. It's the poise of a man's soul, it's your compass. It's an attribute that causes you to set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. A philosopher was once asked what the task of philosophy was. And he said it was to show the fly the way out of a fly bottle. Have you ever seen a fly trapped in a bottle? It keeps banging its head against the glass, trying to find a way out. And the one thing it fails to do, it fails to look up. And godliness is that compelling force within us that causes us to look up, to look beyond our natural circumstances. Now nearly all of Paul's teachings on the subject of godliness is found in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And I've discovered godliness is predominantly a New Testament concept. It's not found in the Old Testament, Although there were references of some godly people there in the Old Testament, the noun godliness is exclusively New Testament because it's rooted in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are two things Paul contrasts. Now watch this, this is so important. Two things that he contrasts godliness with. The first thing was profane and all wise fable. He says, refuse these profane and all wise fables and exercise thyself unto godliness. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, we did not follow after cunningly devised fables. The Bible doesn't tell us what these fables were. Doesn't tell us what these all wise stories or profane stories were. But here are the two greatest apostles in the New Testament warning us to refuse these fables. The word refuse comes from the Greek word to reject, rebuff, to decline, to snub, to turn decisively away from something. To to avoid vigorously any form of participation. Whatever these old wives' fables were, Paul viewed them as detrimental so much so that he ordered Timothy to reject these notions. Now, in our culture here in Singapore, we have all kinds of old wives' fables. Some of them are just ridiculous, but... Here are a few. When I was young, my parents used to say to us, if you don't finish your food on your table, your future husband and your future wife will have pockmarks all over their faces. ping. <laughs> if you point to the moon, it will bring bad luck. You never give somebody a clock because you're wishing them death. You break a mirror, it's seven years of bad luck. And when your eye twitches, it's because someone's speaking behind your back. I wonder why my eyes twitching. <laughs> I don't think that was what Paul was trying to say at all. If you look at 1 and 2 Timothy, one of the things he did warn us was, anyone who forbids marriage is preaching a doctrine that is energized by demons. It's a serious thing, my friends. But there are groups of Christians today that still practice this erroneous doctrine and then wonder why there's so much asexual immorality within their ranks. God ordained and blessed marriages and unless you have the gift of celibacy, marriage is honourable and you are free to marry, but only in the faith. No, we don't, we don't practice missionary dating in Cornerstone. What is missionary dating? I'm trying to find a non-believer and then try and bring the person to Christ. No, we don't believe in that. Amen. Amen. But let me just add that if you're a believer and that you have a call of God upon your life, you're called by God. Not only are you supposed to be married to someone who is equally yoked to you, you're supposed to be married to someone with the Same vision. Same vision. 33 years ago, I quit my job. The morning I quit my job, I never told my wife. I resigned from the job. I had two kids, a mortgage, a house payment. We were living in a nice place. But I quit my job. And I was going to come into an $800 salary a month. So I quit my job and I, my wife picked me up at the MRT station in the evening, 6 o'clock. In the car, I said, Dev, i got something I want to say to you. She said, what? I said, I just quit my job today. Silence in the car. She said these words and I never forgot this 33 years ago. She said, did God speak to you? I said, yes ma'am, she it definitely did. That was the end of the conversation. We never brought up the issue of full-time ministry ever again. And I thank God that she stuck with me all these years. She had the same vision. When I, we, the first thing I did when I sold, we sold our house because we wanted a downgrade. We rented a facility that was $1,500 a month and my salary was $800. I don't know how we got through those early days. My wife gathered all her gold and jewelry that we collected from all our, wed- from our wedding, not our wedding, from our wedding. And sold everything, we went to the jewelry store, we sold our gold, we sold our jewelry, we sold everything to get by the next month. And then the next month came, we sold our stamp collection. And then we got by the next month. And the next month we sold our furniture. We sold everything we could sell. We paid a price for this, my friends. And I thank God that I had a wife who was willing to suffer and go all the way with me. And I'm glad she didn't say, you know when I married you, I married somebody who was a successful man in the the secular world. I didn't marry a pastor. And because you're, you're changing the trajectory of your life, I want out. She didn't say that. Hallelujah. And she was willing to bear the trials and, and go through this with me. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you've got a call for the ministry, you've got to marry someone who's got the same vision, who's willing to pay the price as you did. Now, after all these years, 37 years of marriage, God has blessed us. He has enlarged our ministry. He has enlarged our tent. And we stand here today. I'll tell you, God is good. Amen. We went through some difficult times at the start. We went through some nobody. We didn't tell anybody in the church. We didn't tell our parents. We didn't tell my, I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell anybody. We just went through this our own because we knew that this hardships is gonna produce something of character in our hearts. Amen. Another thing that God, uh, Paul wants us is the overemphasis on dietary laws and abstinence of food. It's becoming ridiculous now. You go to a restaurant, Are you a vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, ketogenic, lactose intolerant, low sodium, milk allergies? My friend, just bless the food and dive in. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Food does not commend you to God. Jesus Himself said it goes into the stomach, it's purged, it comes out. It doesn't defile you. What defiles you is what comes out of your heart that defiles you. Your diet doesn't commend you to God. You eat pork, you don't eat pork, you eat beef, you don't eat beef, it doesn't matter. Holiness does not come from your diet, but I'll just say this, you gotta be moderate in eating. You Singaporeans, we eat way too much. Another thing that we're not to be taken in is the, is the worship of angels. Or the overemphasis of angels or the worship of such. I believe in angels and I believe right now if our eyes can see, I believe there are more angels with us than people in this room. I really believe that with all my heart. I believe there are battalions of angels that are sent to aid the heirs of salvation. And I guess they are listening to my sermon, making sure I get right in my doctrine. And I want to just say, you're welcome in this place as well. Amen. Amen. But I tell you as much as I believe in our ministry of angels and how we're gonna see more and more angelic activity in the last days, especially as we approach the the end, uh, our eyes must be on one and one person alone, hallelujah. The lover of our soul, amen, Jesus. A New Testament scholar speculated that one of the old wise fables Paul could be referring to was Timothy. It's time for you to quit fantasizing that you are gonna escape hard work and find an easier way to do what God has called you to do. This mentality is not just unrealistic and the kind of stuff that an old woman would tell her grandchildren. That seems to be the the team of one Timothy and two Timothy. Timothy must be under great stress. He, had a, he was timid as a as a person. It could be that he started daydreaming about an easier and a more trouble-free way to serve God. And his musings fell into the category of an all wives fable. And when God trusts you with a responsibility, believe me, the demands always increase, not decrease. I have given up the idea many, many years ago that my life would one day be easier. The older I get, the more difficult it becomes. I tell you this, I don't have the mentality when I hit 65, I'm going to retire in Perth, Australia and play golf all my life long. I don't play golf because I think it's a waste of time. I don't want to fish. I don't want to do anything else. I want to serve Jesus till my last dying breath. Amen. So stop thinking like that. Stop daydreaming. You ain't going to quit. You're going to serve Jesus all the days of your life. Amen. Amen. Don't pray for these challenges. Oh Lord, my, I've suffered so much. Nonsense! hallelujah. <laughs> All your suffering Lord, is to build hardships so that you can be a better soldier of Jesus Christ, amen. And rightly dividing the Word of God as well, may I add. May I add two more old wives tales to the list. These are mine. The first is a pre-tribulation rapture that leaves the church unprepared for the last days. I was at a lunch with a famous preacher. I won't mention his name. And uh, there was all these CEOs and, you know, well-known people in the church. And they were asking questions about the last days. That was his expertise. And every question they asked, you know what? He said, oh, you don't have to worry about that. We're not going to be here. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. We're not going to be here. Oh, you don't have to worry about that passage. We're not going to be here. And I'm thinking then, what is that book of Revelation for? How is it that we think that the early church got into so much suffering, but we're going to be raptured? And we're be we saved from all the tribulation. Come on, my friends. Paul said in two Acts chapter 14, listen to this. When they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, number one, exhorting them to continue in the faith, number two, and saying to them, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Paul and Barnabas did when they went to every city and planted a church. Number one, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Why? Because strength is going to be absolutely necessary as we approach the last days. Number two, they exhorted them to continue in the faith. Why? Because the word exhort is a military term, which means Stand to attention. Be courageous for the battle. But thirdly, they prepared them with the message. What was the message they were preaching? That through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of God. I would be an unfaithful pastor if I didn't warn you of the troubles that are coming. I tell you, the banking system is about to collapse. You all know what's happening. The handwriting is on the wall. Everything is about to collapse. This world is going to go into chaos. I've been following what's happening in America. It's crazy. It's unbelievable what's happening. The whole world is tottering on the brink of a nuclear holocaust. world is going downwards. The only thing that's going upwards is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But He is not going to come and deliver us from this. The tribulation, we've got to go through the tribulation. So it's my job to prepare you as best as I can so that when we go through the tribulation, we will not get bitter. We are, we are ready for hardship. Hallelujah. Amen. Why are the people in all the other nations suffering so much? The church in Singapore must get stronger because I tell you this, trouble is coming our way and we must get ready. And I tell you the solution is not to buy a farm in Chiang Mai. It's not to buy a farm in Australia or New Zealand and buy 10 acres of land so that I can grow my own vegetables so that when the tribulation comes, my family has enough food to eat. How selfish then not that be? The moment that happens, you're, i tell you this, all these antichrist people are going to come and steal everything from your farm and kill you. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. <laughs> Another all wise fable is cessationism. It's this teaching that all the charismatic gifts, tongues, prophecy, healings, miracles, all seized when the Bible was written. This is an all wise fable. This is, this is nonsense. I tell you this and the reason why I'm concerned is because there are churches here in Singapore that preached it and they're growing like crazy. Like crazy and all these charismatic Christians that once spoke in tongues, heal the sick, cast out devils and now saying, hey, maybe Jesus didn't do all these things. Maybe all these gifts cease. That's a wrong teaching. It's calling the Holy Ghost a liar. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. In my name they shall speak in new tongues. Cast out devils, heal the sick. Come on, my friends, hallelujah. Don't you give in to those kind of teachings. The second thing Paul contrasts godliness is with physical exercise. Now, my friends, I know that some some people run every day. We know pastors who do that as well. (laughs) But the Bible says that the wicked flee while no one is chasing them. (laughs) No, I think running is good. I believe physical exercise is good, but it only profits a little bit. Here's the thing that Paul was trying to say. If you wanna get in good physical shape, you need exercise. No doubts about that, it's really good. But if you wanna get in good spiritual faith, then you must be diligent to exercise yourself spiritually, which is the concept of godliness. So Paul says to Timothy, exercise, exercise yourself to godliness. Now the word exercise in the Greek is the word "gamnazo." Really important word, so I need you to say this after me. "Gamnazo." One more time, "Gamnazo." And it literally means, listen to this, to exercise without any clothes on. It, it means to exercise naked. I don't recommend that to any one of you, amen. It comes from the Greek word "gumnos," which simply means naked. And that's where we get the word gymnasium. The word gymnasium means to exercise without any clothes on. It was unusual for Paul to use such a word, but to Timothy was a very graphic word because the word "gamnazo" was used to describe professional athletes who who, who competed in wrestling, which is very intense, uh, pancreation, and which is the modern day version, the ancient version of MMA and also combat. It's a word that's used to describe the st- strenuous physical exercise required to produce the finest athletes. And this may not have been the message that Timothy was expecting to hear, that, uh, but, but he immediately understood what it meant. When Timothy saw the word exercise, he knew exactly what Paul was trying to tell him. The training of professional athletes in those days were well known. They had to have the freedom to move their muscles without hindrance. So they didn't wear any clothing where an opponent could grab a hole and take them down. And for this reason, they exercised and they fought completely naked because these combat sports were so ferocious that it could be the last that they fought. Many of them died in the rings in the arenas, so they didn't mess around. They trained themselves. They allowed them to be abused themselves and they gave themselves to the training uh, with utmost, uh, uh, with with ferocity so that they could get into the best physical shape possible so that they may last one more day. They stripped themselves of all laziness, all comfort, all, and, and exercised themselves to physical perfection so because only the strongest and the fittest would survive. So to these professional athletes, hardship was good because if they responded properly to it, it could save their lives. And this is exactly what Paul was saying to Timothy. Timothy Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Come, not so, exercise yourself. Strip of everything that can hinder you as a Christian. And I tell you, there's so many distractions today. We need to strip ourselves from things that are gonna be distracting to us as we pursue the Kingdom of God. That's why I encourage you every morning to get up early to pray. I got up at 4.45 this morning again to pray As I did so in the last three years, every morning at 4.45. and for, And getting up at 4.45 is a discipline that has nothing to do with righteousness, everything to do with godliness. Righteousness had to do with right believing. It has to do with right living, hallelujah, doing what is right. But godliness comes by stripping ourselves of anything that would hinder our progress in God. And that includes laziness. In all my 33 years of full-time ministry, I have never seen God ever use a lazy person. You know what the Bible says about sleep? Do not love sleep, hallelujah. Do not love sleep, lest you be poor. That's what the Bible says. And poor and poverty does not just mean financial poverty, it means spiritual poverty as well. Approach life with this mentality. Hardship is going to be helpful for me. Let me ask you a question. Let's say tomorrow is a day off for you. Oh, by the way, tomorrow I fly off again. So um, I'm just uh, sorry, this this few months, been a lot of traveling, a lot of flying. But uh, second half of the year, much easier, much better. Amen. Now, um, let's say tomorrow you're off 24 hours. You look in your calendar, and there's nothing on your calendar. You can do anything you want, anything you want. Woo! How many of you have days like this? Some of you, all right. I'm going to plan the day. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go for a walk in the nature reserve. Paul says that's great. That will profit you, but only a little bit. Some of you might say, well, uh, Pastor, I'm going down to Orchard Road. I'm going to shop till I drop. That's another waste of time. Don't believe those all-wise fable that shopping is therapeutic. There's nothing therapeutic about shopping. It takes your attention away from Jesus Christ. <laughs> and all the men say, Amen. I'll tell you, you'll never make me like shopping. Never, never, never. Amen. I've determined in my life, I will hate shopping. <laughs> All your possessions in the world will come to zero. You know what Jesus said? Some of the most scary things I think He said. He said, woe unto you who are rich. He said that. And was talking about rich, financial rich. He said, you, because on this earth, you have received your consolation. You've lived well on this earth. That's your reward. But blessed are the poor, for their consolation will come in the life after. Amen. So you say, Pastor, what should I do? I'm a rich man. <laughs> you really wanna know? Many years ago, the Lord spoke to me about a verse in the Bible, was prayed by a man called Erga. And he said this, he said, Lord, don't make me rich lest I forget you, and, you know, and profane your name. He says, don't make me poor lest I steal and profane your name. He says, give me what is enough for me. Remember that scripture, Proverbs chapter 30? You know, the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, I want you to pray that prayer. I couldn't pray that prayer honestly because I know He knew exactly what was in my heart. I wanna be rich. If I had to choice between being rich or poor, I choose rich any day, amen. Anyone would choose that. So I couldn't pray that prayer because I really wanted to be rich and finally after three days I felt the grace come upon my heart I prayed that prayer with all sincerity I know God heard my prayer and answered that prayer there's almost like my bank account is almost like an autocorrect right the moment it hits a certain amount it goes back to the because of that prayer amen <laughs> yeah it's all right Or oh, perhaps you can go to Sentosa Lie under the sun and look like a red lobster. Or you can exercise yourself to godliness, which is profitable for all things. Godliness has to do with a set of disciplines and I want to suggest six simple exercises. I'm just going to read them off and then close in prayer. Now you've got to remember the whole idea of a dis- disciple is discipline. Amen. You take away the discipline from a disciple and all you have left is a good-for-nothing carnal and lazy Christian. So here are some of the exercises that you can do. Every morning, number one, it starts with getting up early. Every patriarch, every great saint, every great hero of the faith had one thing in common, they all got up early to pray, amen. They all got up to seek the Lord, especially as our Lord Jesus Christ. Laziness and oversleeping is not a kingdom virtue. Number two, thanksgiving and praise. I said this to you, I'll say it again. Find 10 things, if you can, 20 things to thank God every day. Keeps the the joy of the Lord and you keep rejoicing in the Lord. Amen. By being thankful always at all times. Spend time praising the Lord. I have about 10, 15 verses that I recite every morning as a way of praising God in in the Psalms and through the Psalms. Then pray in tongues. Tongues is the language of your inner man. You know, it's amazing, many times God opens doors for you that you did not expect. And you wonder, how in the world those doors open? It was a wonderful door, but how did in the world did it open? Many times it's it because God answered your prayer as you were praying in tongues. And as you were praying in tongues, your spirit was telling the Lord what you really wanted. Hallelujah in the praying in tongues, and God answers those prayers, amen. I'll tell you what, my friends, build up that most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, amen. Feed on the Word, that's, a, that's a, another kind of, that's the right kind of diet. And read, don't just read the Bible, come on, we're so way past that, man. Read the Bible, meditate on it, pray over it, and then see what the Lord says so that you can obey it in your life, Amen. Then have communion every single day. I wanna encourage you to do that. Honor His finished work, honor the blood, honor the finished work of Calvary. And finally praying with all kinds of prayers, supplications, intercessions, petitions, thanksgiving. Our commitment to spiritual development is to be so intense that we literally exercise and exercise ourselves to the point of radical devotion to the Lord Jesus. That's what I want in my life. I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm committed to spiritual development as much as those professional athletes are and uh, to their physical attainment. And if they get up early and start training every day, so will I, amen. We must match the best athletes in the world by our devotion to Christ, amen. Amen, I want you to stand up with me. Don't settle for being average. Don't settle for being mediocre. The word mediocre comes from two, a Latin, word, two Latin words, meaning halfway up the mountain. Too many Christians stop halfway up the mountain. Can you ask my wife to come please? up? As Elijah, yeah. That's why Paul urged Timothy to suffer hardship as a true soldier of Jesus Christ, why? Because hardship was the opportunity to stretch, develop, strengthen, and build you up. Hallelujah, Shandara Bahande, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.